and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. I would like to introduce our guest on the show today, uh, Sarah Kerr, who is a PhD, and she is actually a part of the Afterlife Awareness Conference that is happening in June at Salt Lake City, Utah, here in 2019. And Sarah is a ritual healing practitioner and death doula who supports the living, the dying, and the dead. At the conference, she's going to be speaking about grief and loss as spiritual initiation, which is exploring the soul's journey through grief, loss, and transformation on both sides of the veil. By meeting loss as an initiation, she says that people can become stronger, wiser, and more capable. Um, And Sarah does uh, quite a a bunch of different things, and I'm really excited to be able to talk with her about the different services that she offers and what I've learned um, through her website. But I want to tell you just a little bit more about her, too. So drawing on the wisdom of nature-based spirituality, Sarah designs and facilitates ceremonies that help her clients and their families to integrate experiences of illness, death, and loss. These rituals honor the spiritual significance of what is happening and bring healing to the living and the dying. Sarah's PhD dissertation explored the ways that modern Western people can restore and recreate meaningful rituals for the significant transitions of life. She has a master's degree in environmental philosophy and has been a student of spiritual and shamanic healing modalities since 2000. So Sarah, welcome. Thanks very much, April. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, so I always um, am very impressed by Terry Daniel, who is the organizer of the Afterlife Awareness Conference, and how she finds the wonderful presenters that she brings on board. I know that she is extremely selective of who she makes uh, a part of her conference, and she really, I just think, chooses the best of the best. So I'm curious to hear just the synchronicity of how did you come to get involved with the Afterlife Awareness Conference? You know, I attended it in Portland, I don't know, maybe seven years ago, six years ago. I can't remember exactly the date, but that was my my first exposure to it. It was still pretty new then. And Terry has certainly, as you say, grown it into a pretty amazing gathering. And I've been wanting to go back since then. And so this is just the the first time it's it's connected and, and it worked perfectly that Terry also asked me to speak. So that was a good excuse to come back. I've been following her work and following the sort of Facebook trail of the Afterlife Awareness Conference and was really inspired by the people there, not only the presenters, but also the other participants. Yeah, that's one of the things that we experienced last year in Orlando um, is just that there's such a synergy amongst the people as we're there with each other throughout the weekend. That makes it really great, too. And when you attended, um, were you attending as a professional? Were you looking to just get some more training on things or were you just going there for personal development? No, I was practicing at that point um, as both a death doula and a ritual healing practitioner. So seeing clients and and doing the work I do and also doing some teaching, although I'm doing a lot more of that now. Um, You know, I went really as a networking opportunity to connect with other practitioners in the field. And what I found, the folks that I really connected with had an amazing combination that for me was rare to find. Both um, well-established academics but they were also people who, who actually 
had personal practices that took them into these realms, shamanic training or energy medicine training or mediumship experience. And they weren't academics working in institutions. They were academics who were working with people. And that sort of describes me, that I'm, I'm, I'm working with clients and families rather than in a research base and, and, and have that my own personal experience of, of the other worlds and plus the academic background. So it was to meet folks like that and I was thrilled. I met some really amazing people who I'm still in touch with to this day. Yeah, and we have interviewed a few of the death doulas who are also going to be at the Afterlife Awareness Conference. Um, so I don't know if we're going to get into that all too much. But what I would, what I really love, I personally love ritual and the meaning of ritual. So I have not heard of the title ritual healing practitioner, but that sounds like something right up my alley. So um, I think I'd like to go there uh, for this conversation. So can you talk a little bit more about what does it mean to be a ritual healing practitioner and the importance of rituals for significant transitions of life. Absolutely. Um, and I guess the death doula place is a place to start because really my sense of what's happening in the field of death doulery, death doulaism, death doulas, is that we're starting with a, a really broad picture. And just like you could, you know, 35 years ago, you could get it body work. It was probably a massage and it was sort of a single approach. And now we have body workers of all sorts. I think we're a little bit the same way with death doulas. Right now, there's sort of one basket, but I really feel like it's going to get more specific and more specialized. And so that's, for me, why I've added the term ritual healing practitioner, because I'm very much a death doula. That's the work I do with clients, but it's specifically ritual work, and not all death doulas do that. And different people do different things. This is really the path I take. And so I really see rituals as a as a kind of soul medicine. When we're dying or when someone we love is dying or when we're navigating a loss, either recent or, or from a long time ago, it's a soul experience. Certainly in the death process, the physical body medicine is incredibly important. You need to have good palliative care, great hospice support, all of that. But it's about leaving the body and about no longer being in the body. And so it's the soul that really also needs some deep attention. And ritual is the way that humans all through time have, have navigated big soul transitions. And rituals, I, I have a really broad definition of ritual. It's, it's, a, it's any kind of human gathering or intentional gathering, an intentional activity that carries meaning. It's, it has an intention. It's to do something, to make something change. So that can be as simple as meeting with a family, sitting around the living room table, passing a talking object that has some meaning to them, probably came from their house, and letting everybody talk about the fact that someone in the family is dying. And they've never really had that conversation as a collective before. That's a profound ritual doesn't look very dramatic in terms of bells and whistles and rattles and candles and feathers, but it's a deep ritual. So my rituals can look like that and they can go a long way beyond that. But those ritual processes, they really help energy to flow. And in big transition times, energy often gets stuck. Energy of grief, energy of love, energy of anger, frustration, whatever it is, it needs to flow. 
And would you mind maybe um, discussing one ritual that you have done that's a little more in depth that maybe does have the feathers, the bells, the whistles, or, you know, something that uh, you have done with your clients that has really been very profound in healing people's grief or helping someone within the transition of death? I think our, our audience would like to hear more about that. Sure. And, you know, the feathers and bells and whistles. Um, I really, I really target what I do to who the family is and what's meaningful for them. And for some families who may have that kind of a spiritual perspective to be a little more sort of overtly, how do I describe this? You know, it's like Romeo and Juliet. There's a story. You can tell that story set in gang LA. You can set, tell it set in medieval Italy. You could tell it set in surfer Hawaii. You can put it in a different context. It's still the same story. And so the ritual work I'm doing is really about getting clear about what the underlying energetic dynamic is, the story that we're working with. And then we can put other things on top of this. Do we have rattles or not? If it's useful for people, we do. If it's not, we don't. So the the rituals that are really deep are ones that create enormous connection between people. You know, that one of the goals of rituals is to, is to let this energy flow and help people feel connected. So I've got a million of them. Let me see, where's the one I can start? Um, so one I do, and I sometimes they're designed in the moment for a family. Sometimes they're designed specifically for a family with some lead up. And sometimes they're a little bit more... Um, of a repetitive one I might do with variations again and again. So I think about working with a family, maybe it was a year ago this happened, and the grandmother, mom, was dying. So I met with them, with the three adult children and the mom and some of the, um, some of the kids' spouses. About, it ended up being about two weeks before she died. That was the first time I met the whole family. And in her long-term care center... Everybody knew she was dying. Nobody really knew how to do it or how to give it meaning and grace. So part of that conversation with her was just starting the conversation that you're dying. No one had actually used those words. She knew it, but nobody was saying it. So we talked about that. Talked about what that was. What did she think that would be? Where was she going to go? And one of the things we ended up doing was bringing down from the walls all the pictures of all the family members. She had a huge family, and they were all pictures all over the walls. And one by one, and she had had quite serious dementia, but she popped out a little bit. It was a kind of terminal lucidity almost. She became more lucid than she had been in many years. She popped out for this conversation, and one by one, she put her finger on each person's face, and she said, they're on this side of the river or they're on the other side of the river. Were they alive or were they dead? And you could just see things falling into place for her. She was getting herself oriented for this journey she was going to make. Knowing who was alive, who was dead, who was she leaving, who was she going to? And that was a pretty profound energetic shift for her and also for the whole family to adjust with that with her. And then, and this is just organic, we just shifted into this, this opportunity for each of her children and their spouses to tell her what they loved about her and what they'd miss most. Hmm. They took turns one at a time. They came forward. And it's a ritual because it's not a standard conversation. I'm guiding the conversation. 
after somebody's finished and we have a little wrap up of that, then I bring the next person forward. So I'm, I'm orchestrating this process. Each person went in turn and I'm, um, I'm kind of managing a little bit. One daughter came forward and she was so upset and she just, she put her hands on her mother's knees and she just started sobbing and sobbing. And you could just see this energy of grief pouring out of her. And it was more than her mother could handle. Her mother was in a very tender, delicate space, two weeks from her death, 93 years old. And so, you know, I guided her to, to channel that grief in a different way. She needs to be able to move her grief, but not at her mother. So it's a lot of managing the energy of that. So that was the beginning of it. And then we did a few more gatherings in the next two weeks. And then when the mom died, I came to the hospice. It was two in the morning and I walked in and the, there were probably seven or eight people sitting in the room. She was lying in the bed and the nurses had sort of laid her out and she was all flat and sheets tidy. It looked lovely. And they were sitting in chairs all the way around the outside of the room, just silent with big eyes looking gray. And they didn't know what to do. They knew they needed to do something, but they didn't know what to do. And even if you expect a death, it's shocking. And so part of what happens is I come and I say, okay, you don't have to know what to do. I'll know what to do. You can just relax into the experience. And so we did a ceremony that I do versions of with many people which is um, a kind of, you know, I sort of call it a shamanic last rites process. It's a, it's a blessing and a goodbye. So we open the space. That might be a prayer. That might be a song. That might be an invocation. I sort of call people to what we're doing. It's a version of Dearly Beloved, We Are Gathered Here Today. It says, this is what's happening. We're here to say goodbye to her. And then we go around and each person names the ancestors, the people on the other side of the river, who they hope will be there to meet them, meet her. We go around, people name all their beloved dead. It's a very powerful process because it, um, it tells people that, yes, death is terrible and this feels so awful because our mother has just died. But suddenly they remember, oh, well, that person died and my dad died and so-and-so's died and grandma died. They start to remember other deaths. And at some level, I think, there's a registration that I survived those deaths, I'll survive this death. So they name their dead. And then we do another round where people, um, with a warm washcloth, with lavender scented water, wash her face and anoint her. And then this can take sometimes three hours. Then another round where they say goodbye. And they really go up to her and speak to her body where she's not anymore, but she's not that far away usually. And they speak their goodbyes. And then I do a, a ritual called a death spiral, which is an unwinding of the spirit from the body. And they help me move her spirit out of her body. And we often sing or drum or rattle it out into its next journey. Uh, and then we do another round of um, anointing the top of her head, of sealing her head, her crown chakra where she's left not there anymore. This closes it up. And then a few more rounds to get them really integrated because it's shocking both for the person who's died and for the people who are left here. And we've often finished that ritual if they're not going to care for the body themselves later with the closest person to her. In this case, it was her husband pulling the sheet over her face. 
And that's a really profound ritual gesture. But it takes a long time to get to the point where people are ready to do that. And that's what that ritual space I hold does. It gets everybody ready. Sometimes we have to Skype people in and they have to say their goodbyes. Get people ready for that pulling the sheet over her face, which is like a, a, a comma or something in the process of dying. It's like, okay, whew, she's dead. Now the next day something else will happen and there'll be more happening after that. But that's a that's a sort of quick picture of what one of the rituals might look like. Wow, sounds beautiful. And um, can you go into a little bit more when you were talking about the death spiral and then sealing the head of the crown chakra and um, maybe the significance of that in honoring the energy or moving all the energy out of the physical body and, you know, maybe the importance of people aren't aware of the crown chakra and why that part would be sealed? Sure. So um, the death spiral is a practice that I learned in the Peruvian tradition, the Andean Caro teachers taught me. And it's, um, you know, we, we have energy bodies and different cultures understand them in different ways, but there are some core <clears throat> shared principles. And I think this has been slightly mo modified for Western people, but it, I find it very effective. So the understanding is that we have seven chakras. When we're alive, they spin clockwise. They hold our body and soul together. And people who do this work know that you can kind of spin them counterclockwise a little bit and then clockwise again. It's a bit of a rinsing or a cleansing. When we die, they spin counterclockwise. And they don't go back to clockwise again. So that's, they're almost like screws. It's sort of a way to hold them. They hold the two together. And when we're born, the fontanelle, the crown chakra, the crown of our head is the last place to harden up, you know, the soft spot on a baby's skull. That's the understanding is that's where your spirit goes in. And that when we die, ideally, that's where your spirit also leaves. So this, um, this ritual process is a series of, I use a rattle or sometimes I just use my hands, um, a series of counterclockwise spirals within the counterclockwise spirals that unwind those chakras. And I do it sometimes two, three or more times till it really is clear. And it loosens everything up. And then, um, this isn't how I was taught, but I find it's very effective. Rather than me moving them out from the bottom, moving, starting at the foot and sort of supporting the spirit to leave, I have the family do that. And that's very powerful for them. They're actively engaged. It's a kind of agreement that she has died. And we do that because the, the last breath is just one stage in the dying process. And... Our, there's a whole movement of our spirit out of our bodies. And sometimes people move quickly, sometimes they move slowly, everyone's different. But we become a kind of newborn in the other world. And it can be a little confusing. People sometimes aren't completely sure they're dead or don't really understand. They're just a little, everything's so new. And this gentle moving out and sometimes I do it, sometimes I'll wait a couple of days if a family's willing to, to stay that long. It can be nice to wait that long if you can. Sometimes you can't. This moving out is part of helping the spirit of the person who's died get really clear about where they are. Because sometimes there can be some back and forth. We move them out and then we, it's like we lock the door that's anointing the top of the head. And we say this, this is a ritual, part of the ritual. Your body is finished. Your spirit is infinite, but your body is finite. This, this place is done. This dwelling place is done. And we bless it and we thank it and we tend it and bathe it. He said, now you're on the beginning of your next journey. 
And it really is a ritual which is in service both to the living and to the dead, or to the person who's in the process of dying. You know, there's a, a gray zone in there. Um, for the, the person who's dying, it helps them get out so they can start to begin in the new zone that they're in. For the people who are still alive, it can be very shocking, no matter how conscious you are or aware or present to the death, it's still incredibly shocking. Our soul doesn't make these transitions quickly. And and you can look at a dead body and part of you doesn't really realize they're dead. It takes a while, because, oh my gosh, they're dead. Oh, oh, they're dead. And what this ritual does is really demonstrate, and the, the energetic participation of the family really demonstrate to them that yes, this person is no longer in this body. And when I'm doing it, I'm, I'm feeling for the energy of the person who's died. Where are they? How do I need to get them out? But I'm also feeling for the energy of the family. Sometimes the person's out. They're, they're whew, slipped out smooth, fast. They're on their way. But the family hasn't adjusted yet. And so sometimes doing the ritual isn't for the person who's died. It's for the family. And they watch and they register. And I might do it three or four times till I can really feel that they are getting it. So it's it's in service to both, really. Yeah, and, and I can imagine that it helps the family because we're such like a doing culture, right? So if we could see something visually or it, it gives it more of a metaphor, like, okay, you know, we, we've done something here to really acknowledge it, that, you know, everyone seems to be searching for, quote unquote, closure, right? <laughs> but, you know, it can kind of give them a piece of that as they're visually watching it. It gives them that visual to be able to see and experience. Right. Yes. It's, and, and these ritual gestures, that's the power of a ritual gesture is that we move it in our body and that helps shift it in the energetic realm. Yeah. And it's not so much closure. The image I often have is a wheel that's turning. You're just going to the next place on the wheel and the next place. It's not a final destination. You're just moving. But we do need to move to the next place and to the next one. And as a part of that ritual, I really like to, and I noticed on your website, um, it's really beautiful. I've never seen anyone done this before about how you honor your ancestors. And when you were talking and giving this example of how um, the person who was dying was kind of acknowledging who had already passed and who mm -hmm. was still here. And, um, you know, you have your ancestors and their pictures mm -hmm. listed on your website to honor them. And, you know, one of the first things on that page uh, you say, I include my ancestors here because I come from an ancestor forgetting culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of remembering our ancestors? Absolutely. And, and for ancestors, my definition of that is anyone we love who's died. Might be blood ancestors, might be uh, any, might be animals, might be uh, teachers who are influential in us, friends, people who are younger than us can be any of those. We live in an ancestor forgetting culture. It's another way of saying we live in a, a culture that loses our dead. Uh, we have this sort of light switch image where they're here and then suddenly the switch goes off and they're gone. Complete non-existence. Because we don't have, in a cultural way, of course, listeners to this podcast and folks coming to the conference will probably have a different perspective on that. But in, in a bigger cultural way, we don't have a an image of what happens after we die, of where we can go. It's not really a space-time thing, but that's the easiest way to describe it. Where we can go or where we can be and still be part of the community. 
because we need to be part of the community. I think that's one of the reasons we're so terrified and so dysfunctional around death is we see it as complete annihilation. And that's the most terrifying thing to the human psyche, to be disconnected from community and to not be anywhere with anyone. No wonder we dig in our heels and we don't want to die. Cultures that have an understanding that, yes, you're leaving your body, but you're just going to this next zone and you're still going to be in relationship with everyone else because we have a relationship with ancestors. We have annual ceremonies where we welcome our ancestors. We have shrines in our house where we're in connection with our ancestors. We set a place for them at Thanksgiving dinner. Really, this the movement from person living in a body to person living out of a body, from living person to ancestor, is another level of initiation. It's the next developmental stage. And that's where these rituals support us to help the person move to their next stage and not to lose them. Because we, you know, the, the, we're not so bad anymore, but it used to be that grief therapy was around saying, you got to get over it. You have to let them go. Now with continuing bonds, grief therapy, we understand that actually staying in relationship in a way that's meaningful and appropriate for the person is actually healthier. And so remembering our ancestors and maintaining those relationships, they're not the same, but they still exist. And that's really a, a huge part of my naming my ancestors there, both in gratitude because they gave me my life. I wouldn't be here without them. I also have a page that names my teachers because yes. I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing without them. And I really hold myself in both those lineages. Um, so it's about my own um, sort of gratitude for who I am and what I'm able to do. But it's also a, a larger collective statement about we need to remember these people. Because it actually makes our lives better when they are in it. Great. Thank you so much for that. And I'm sure a lot of what you're discussing here on the podcast, you're going to be integrating into your breakout session at the Afterlife Awareness Conference. Um, and I know that you chose the topic, grief and loss of spiritual initiation. Do you want to just give a, a short overview on what you will be presenting for those people who are still on the fence about whether or not they're going to come in person um, to the conference? Sure. Um, so initiation is, uh, <clears throat> sometimes people say, well, that was an initiation or that experience was a rite of passage. And often what they mean is they were a different person at the end of it. It totally transformed who they were. And I would say that they, those were successful initiations or successful um, rites of passage, because sometimes people go through really difficult things. You experience a terrible death. You have a really deep grief or a deep bereavement. Sometimes people don't actually get through that. They don't move to the next stage. They don't become the new person that death is asking them to be or that grief is asking them to be. Mostly because they don't have support and they don't have guidance and we don't have teachings in our culture about how to do this. So initiation is this shift from being one person to being another and that other being more resilient, more capable. Often there's a kind of tenderness, a little poignancy. Sometimes it's more heartbroken. We don't get initiated by easy experiences. It's hard things that initiate us. And the experience of grief and loss, when someone we love is facing a serious illness, maybe navigating that illness, when they die, and, and our experience after that. 
if we can if we can approach that as an initiatory process, and that's really what I'll be talking about, is how to see it as a series of different initiations and how to meet those different initiations with ritual, we start to see a map for the soul's journey through this process. It's not just a process of waiting long enough and crying hard enough and it's done. Grieving is actually an action. It's a verb. And there are things we need to do at each stage to help move the wheel just to the next place and the next place. We never get back to where we were. We never get finished. We're never over grieving them. But we do get to a point where we can live with the grief. And we can live with it because we've become bigger. We've received a kind of initiation. So that's a, that's sort of a quick overview, but it's really about offering a map. And I think it's it's one of the most useful tools I use with my clients. I would say there's a it's a rare client who I see who I don't teach this model to. And people see it and they learn it and they think, wow, I had no idea. Everything that I've been going through now makes sense. It's a map. It's an it's a actual diagram of saying you're here, then you're here, then you're here. And this is what it feels like here. This is what it feels like there. And it starts to fall into place because they can see it in a big picture way. Because when you're in it, it just feels overwhelming and like you're drowning in it. But if you get a map, it gives you more tools to be able to navigate the process. It sounds like a great presentation. I'm sure people are going to enjoy it for sure. Um, and if people are still interested in purchasing tickets to attend in person, you can go to their website, afterlifeconference.com. And we will also be broadcasting the live stream and the agenda and the presenters that will be on that live stream. You can find at path11productions.com slash AC 2019. Um, so Sarah, if people are interested in uh, contacting you for the services that you provide or taking some of your courses, can you let them know uh, your website and where they can find more information? Sure. My website is Soul Passages, S-O-U-L, Passages, plural, www.soulpassages.ca. Um, and there's lots of contact information there. I'm also active on Facebook, I have a YouTube channel, and on Instagram. I put out regular videos, little teaching tidbits. Um, so if you sign up for the mailing list, you can um, there's a free holistic death resource kit you can download for that, and then you'll get on the mailing list for those videos. And I, I do distance consultations and Skype sessions and phone sessions with people, as well as local work in Calgary. And I have a series of online courses, including a new one on um, ritual skills for living and dying. So if this ritual conversation interests you and you want to learn a little bit more about it, it's a uh, uh, a monthly video lesson that addresses a different core principle or practice in ritual healing. Because I, I find that people are beginning to recognize that ritual is important, but we don't actually have deep teachings about it. There's a lot that's intuitive, but there are actually principles that if you follow, your rituals are much more powerful. So I'm really excited about that new program, which I'm sure will be out by the time it'll be out in the next week or so by the time this airs. Sounds wonderful. Well, Sarah, we look forward to meeting you in person um, when we're down there filming. And um, and thank you so much for being a guest on the Path Love and Podcast. Thanks, April. I really appreciated it. And I'm looking forward to meeting you too. 
Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four-day four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. <music>